Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 227. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss George of the Jungle, starring Oscar winner Brendan Fraser. We were just talking about this before we come on. I don't know how many times I'm going to say Frasier. Yeah, I'm trying to break myself out of that habit uh, because he only recently, with all of the press from this year's Oscars, started correcting people. And I just think that speaks so much to who he is as a person. Like, he clearly loves what he does. He loves being an actor. And I think he was just so happy with what he had, he never bothered to correct anyone. Imagine being a megastar the way that he was, especially with the Mummy franchise, and having your name mispronounced for the last 20-something years, and you're just cool with it. Well, I mean, I'm no Brendan Fraser, but that has literally been my whole life. Okay, but I think that your your last name is a little bit more confusing than Fraser. Or Fraser. It is, but I mean, you can, you just give up after a while. (laughs) I mean, I totally get that too. But I mean, as soon as he got his Oscar this year, I was like, that's it. We're going back to his humble roots. We're doing George of the Jungle. Yeah. uh, This film. Okay. So this is really funny. When we sat down to watch this, I remember thinking to myself, you know, all three days ago, (laughs) that. I haven't watched this in a really long time. I was a tremendous fan of the television show when I was a kid. My mom loved it when she was a kid and kind of passed it on to to me and my brother. And I remember being really excited when this movie came out. And I remember going to see it in the movie theaters. And then I remember thinking to myself, all right, I watched it once or twice. And I haven't reviewed it since. Within three minutes of the start of the film... I was reciting the lines to this movie. And it wasn't until that moment that I said, oh my God, I watched this movie a lot as a kid. And for some reason or the next, I have a complete mental wipe of how often I watched this movie. I don't know if you even realized what you were doing, but you were you were saying it out loud, the lines like you were one of those annoying people in the Haunted Mansion stretching room. I honestly, because I was so shocked that it was coming back to me that often. I think what this was, was that this was a movie that I think my brother and I probably watched a lot. We used to have a place upstate when we were kids, and my dad had a van that had a VCR in it. And this must have just been one of those movies that, like, we must have, like, we must have just thrown it into the VCR often enough where it was like, okay, this will kill the two-and-a-half-hour drive because... As crazy as it sounds, I don't have a recollection of this being in, like, my rotation, yet somehow it was. Oddly enough, I don't have any recollection of it whatsoever, to a point where I'm not even sure I had seen it before we sat down for this review. I remember the trailer. I remember very distinctly about the trailer because I feel like a lot of kids had picked up uh now is the time to throw your head back and laugh Mm -hmm. that's like a standout for me but honestly we put it on the other night and i didn't even remember that leslie mann was in it well 
Did they do this film a justice to its original source material? Does it hold up? Is it amazing that Brendan Fraser had a career after a film such as George of the Jungle? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co. Designers of Handmade Silkscreen Shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code monoreal at checkout visit fiercefoxdesignco.com to check out all of the collections 25 years after being lost in the jungle following a plane crash george of the jungle is found by ursula stanhope after she and her fiance lyle are stalked by a lion while lyle is knocked unconscious ursula is rescued by george who in turn knocks her out when he swings them into a tree lyle wakes up in time to see ursula be taken by the quote-unquote white ape, and heads back to their camp for help while George takes Ursula back to his treehouse to help mend her. George introduces Ursula to his jungle friends while Max and Thor, two poachers that Lyle hired to get him through the jungle plan to poach the mythical white ape. George begins to develop feelings for Ursula, but his advances fail as he only knows the ways of the ape. Lyle, Max, and Thor track them down and are initially disappointed to see that the white ape is actually a man, but the poachers shift focus to ape when they can see that he speaks. Ape is a friend of George. George calls him his brother. Lyle accidentally shoots George, which lands him in a Bukuvu jail, while Ursula brings George home to San Francisco to get him the medical care that he needs. Ursula gets George clothes and heads to work while George watches TV and eventually leaves her apartment to explore the city against her wishes. He gains notoriety when he scales the Bay Bridge to rescue a stranded skydiver, alarming Ursula, because now he's on live television. After her mother sees them together, Ursula tells her parents what happened in the jungle and that she does not want to marry Lyle, but her mother won't have it, so they throw her an engagement party sans Lyle, who is still in the jail in Africa. At the party, Ursula and her friends continue to grow their affinity for George while her mother tells George that she disapproves of him. That night, Tuki Tuki Bird flies from Africa to San Francisco to tell George that Ape has been kidnapped by Max and Thor, so George leaves to help, but not before gifting Ursula with a crocodile tooth. That is in exchange for a little mood ring that I think she said she pulled out of a Cracker Jack box that she had given him earlier in the film. She is saddened the next morning when she sees that he is left, so she argues with her mother about how she treated George and then leaves to go back to Africa to retrieve him. George arrives in Bukuvu to see that the treehouse is in shambles, but Thor and Max arrive with Ape as they are lost in the jungle. George fights them off and Ursula arrives to tell George that she loves him, but then Lyle arrives following a jailbreak. He has become a minister and kidnaps Ursula to conduct their wedding ceremony while his henchmen capture George. Tuki helps George break free, and he then Ursa, he then rescues Ursula from Lyle, who accidentally marries himself to a gorilla. George and Ursula confess their love for each other and are later married in the jungle. They stay in the treehouse to raise their son, George Jr., while Ape headlines as a singer in Las Vegas. 
Um, I think with, and I don't know what your notes are. And for those who are new to Monorail Radio, Jackie and I, after seeing a mil- after seeing a film, we don't discuss it because we want everything to come naturally on the microphone. There have been times where we've come close and have had to stop ourselves. I have the feeling that we are going to have two very different viewpoints on this movie. Absolutely. Starting with... Well, wait, before you start, let me let me ask you something. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Do you think that you are watching with rose-colored glasses? No, and let me tell you why. Because going into this viewing, and I hadn't watched this movie in over 20 years, I went into this viewing completely blind. Other than the fact that I remembered as I got older, I must have disliked the film. Because I remember seeing it in the movie theaters and thinking it was funny. And then I had very vague recollections of watching it as an older adolescent and thinking, this is kind of dumb. And that's why it stopped for me. Going into this here, I actually had a bias against the film. I will admit that, being such a fan of the television series as a kid. And I'm going to spoil part of my review, most of my review, in saying that the difference between now and being, say, 13, 14 years old is when you're 13 or 14 years old, you don't really understand what an intentional parody is. And I think that I'm just going to leave that there and say that my view is very different now than it was the last time I watched this, which is kind of incredible because I think I was 11 years old. I think this movie, yeah, it came out in 97, so I was 11 Mm -hmm. years old. So there's comedy that an 11-year-old is going to find hysterical that say a 13, 14, 15-year-old is not going to find entertaining at all. That's not cool, man. Because a 13, 14, or 15-year-old doesn't understand the comedy of a parody. So I have watched this now through three different lenses, and uh, I will say that from the jump, I actually really like how the movie starts because the intro, the opening credits, are more or less an exact replica of what you saw in the television series. Okay, well, if you're joining us for the first time, you picked a hell of an episode to start with. Welcome. Uh, Those opening credits are seizure-inducing. And not just because, okay, (laughs) I really am trying to be objective here because when we sat down to watch this for the first time, like, of course this would happen. Um, I started using a new mascara, (laughs) <laughs> and on Saturday night, I I flew back from Long Island on Saturday. It was a long day. Ladies, you know those days where you can just feel your makeup and you cannot wait to take it off. So I had had a really long day on Saturday. I flew back. We went immediately to our friend's birthday. Didn't get home until about midnight. And that's when I took it off. And it was way too late by that point because all day on Sunday, I mean, my, my left eye was completely red on Saturday night and all day Sunday, it just wasn't getting any better. So I was pretty much watching this through 
one eye and I almost had to stop and and like I barely made it through those opening credits because those flashes were just killing me. Um, once my eye was better and we watched the second time, it was still pretty bad. But that first day, I almost tapped out on the credits alone. I don't care if that is a homage to the original TV show. Th- that's just a bad idea to do that and throw that up on screen with no warning. Well, that is a very literal remake of the television show. And then you get the narrator, right? And he gives you a ton of backstory. He brings you to present day. Um, And this is where, almost from the jump, you're supposed to be in on the joke that this is a more or less straight parody of of a show that was a parody within itself because George of the Jungle is a parody of Tarzan, so you're parodying a parody. Well, what's interesting about that, too, is when they initially sold Disney the script, uh, the writer almost didn't want to do it because they knew that they also had the rights to Tarzan, and they didn't think this was ever going to fly because it felt like a Tarzan parody. And this was really two years before Tarzan came out, Mm -hmm. which I think was probably in the best interest of this film. So people weren't saying that it was a straight ripoff. In my mind, though, as a kid, I didn't realize that they were two years apart. I thought this was all just like Disney greenlighting the same genre. Um, But to piggyback on what you said about the narrator, that was something that I thought was going to get very old and it never did. I really liked how they played that up for comedy and you had it, you know, as an omniscient narrator through most of the film. And then later on, people start arguing with him. And that was definitely something that was punched up for comedy and worked. Um, I also really like how the narrator throws us to Ursula. So when we meet her, she's sort of doing her own narration. My beef, though, is that they don't do a good job of developing her at all. They establish that she's really friendly and, you know, she's being really cute as she's introducing all of the locals and saying, you know, she's on this expedition with Kwame and his team and she introduces all of them. And it's just, you know, you can tell that she's like a really sweet character. Um, So they give us personality, but... We don't know why she is there. Unlike Tarzan, Jane is, or in Tarzan rather, Jane is studying the gorillas. Right. She's got every reason to be on an expedition. We don't really know if this is business or pleasure for Ursula. And then we immediately find out that she's trying to escape her relationship, but we still don't know exactly the how and the why that she got there. Yeah, this, like, I had forgotten this, that it is confusing that you get the feeling that she's, like, shooting a documentary. Yes. Because um, she's got her, I mean, it's a mini DV camera, but it's a very expensive camera, and she's shooting everything, and then she has people shooting her. So you're to think that she's a filmmaker, but I think that she was just there on vacation because she has a job later on working at her father's bank. And she shouts out either Betty or Betsy in the video for the moist yeah. towelettes. Yes. Now, what I will appreciate about this film that I did not appreciate as a kid, 
this did the Shrek thing where yeah and they and they they nailed it where there's enough there where a kid finds it funny but you throw in adult humor that is completely over the head of a child and it totally works Shrek did it well and taking from another thing that fell into the same genre Jungle to Jungle did it well and that's I think this is kind of the thing right like Mm. movies like Jungle to Jungle George of the Jungle and even Mighty Joe Young, which I wasn't that's one I'll have to go back and rewatch because that I remember liking the original and not really caring for the remake. They all sort of came out around the same time and then Tarzan came out. So it just seemed like Disney was like dipping their toe into the pool over and over again. And I think that's where these all kind of meld together and why they sort of do become forgotten. But the comedy here for adults and for kids and for it being mixed, it, it's really well done throughout the entire film. It's well done in the opening. All right. Well, we're... Okay, this is going to get interesting. So I, the moment where I realized that I must have seen this movie a thousand times more than I ever recalled, and here's the thing, as I sit here, as I sit here now, breathing like cotton... I still don't remember watching this movie all that much, but when Max goes, Cotton breathes, I literally said the line out loud, and I said, oh my God, I must have seen this so many more times than I thought, and I still have no recollection of how many hundreds of times I must have watched this movie. So that line is delivered by Lyle's, henchman i want to get into the introduction of lyle here because he just shows up expecting to reclaim his fiance right what i bump on is that lyle has even less reasons than gaston does to pursue ursula gaston at least gives us reasoning like i'm the most beautiful person in town so is bell we should be together other than Ursula is just so sweet and angelic. I don't understand why Lyle has feelings for her. That's never established that he truly cares for her because he's just such a giant jerk. They definitely play up on the 90s, uh, you know, that possessiveness that we see a lot, like something in Titanic where Cal is very possessive of Rose. But that's also, you know a social status thing in Titanic. It's a financial decision. Here, we don't even establish that Lyle is after her parents' money. Because he Which could have been done in a throwaway line. Because he doesn't need it. This is the thing. I think Lyle is the perfect caricature of money in the 90s. But then why does he want her, is what I'm saying. Because to your point, it's a social status thing. Her mother wants them together because they both come from money. You're right. He never comes out and says what the motivation is, but the character is so one-dimensional, I don't think you really need to flesh him out. That's the thing. Like, you're right. Gaston just gets what he wants all of the time. Gaston's not used to losing. So Bell to Gaston is just another thing that he can win. She's another trophy that he has to have. Yeah, they never come out and say what it is here, but I don't think you necessarily need to either. I disagree. I think that you do need a motivation because they're trekking through a jungle. They're putting themselves in peril. 
And then you have the B plot where his henchmen want to capture, you know, at first it's a gorilla, then it's an elephant. They just want, you know, trophy money. But Lyle's not even in on that with them. And he's not acting as their leader. These are just like literally hired guns to protect him while they're out in the wild. But also, it would have helped us if we established why he is there, too. Were they on vacation? Was Were Lyle and Ursula on vacation and then she broke away? Or did he fly from San Francisco to Africa because he knew she was there to, to track her down? Well, I think we're supposed to know that he flew from San Francisco. Because as soon as he gets there, he's like, I'm going to get us up at the Hilton. They can hel- helicopter lift us there in two hours. Which, again, just... You know he's got money because he's hiring a helicopter to come aerolift them away to a Hilton where they can go sip gin martinis. And he, it's the way that he's dressed. It's the haircut. It's the, like, completely detached from reality nature of him and how he interacts with the guides, with Kwame's men. Like, I I think that they do enough to flesh him out without really needing to give him much of a motive because you don't want to humanize him too much either. Well, I think that that was sort of a missed opportunity to play this more to comedy because he is dressed for an expedition. If they would have had this guy, you know, again, social status, roll up in an Armani, a Gucci, a full three-piece suit, then it would have lent to he's completely a fish out of water here. Oh, I'd say he's hardly dressed for an expedition. I think he's dressed in Armani if Armani was dressing people for an expedition. Fair. I think that's where the comedy comes. But I love the guides. I love Kwame's men. From the minute you get them on screen and they're speaking in Swahili so he can't understand them and they are just roasting him and roasting him and roasting him. It works for me from the jump. Yes. We're watching two separate movies. (laughs) You watched the sequel. No, it is funny, but they miss the mark on it because it gets very confusing. Kwame tells the story of the white ape. It's like a story of legend around the campfire. And then the next day, Lyle just assumes that his whole team doesn't speak English, which is obviously very ignorant, but you know that they're going to use that in the writing so that he's being a complete jerk and Kwame's team doesn't know or, or is very aware of the horrible things that he's saying. Right. But it goes back and forth too much because you've established that Kwame speaks English and his, his team is listening to him the night before. And then they do the whole bit with the subtitles the next day. Um, after he, throws one of Kwame's guys off the bridge. They go back to camp. They bandage him up. And then Lyle makes this grand gesture of giving out cigars. And he makes the first contact, quote unquote. Give me a break. But it is such good character development for Lyle. He is so out of touch and he's such yuppie scum like, th- this is this is how you fleshed this character out through comedy, because we know how absurd he is. And I think that we all kind of, like, know that these guys understand what's going on when they take out the 35mm, the Nikon. That th- was hysterical. That's, like, I'm, I think it's just well-written. Right, and they also, Lyle's trying to strike the deal with them, but because they do understand what he's saying, 
they're trying to get more money out of him. That's all really well done, but you should have lost the beat where they are listening to the same story as Lyle the night before and fully understanding the story of the white ape. It, it just should have been either they shouldn't have been in that scene or it should have been a one-on-one with Lyle and Kwame. Here's the other thing that I think, and it's only striking me now. Like you said, he throws one of Kwame's men off that rope bridge and the guy's fine. As the narrator will tell you, nobody dies. They just get really big boo-boos. That is... That is one of the funniest lines. It is, and I think that they are intentionally trying to make a live-action remake of a cartoon. Therefore, they are trying to literally make it cartoony, and it is a parody. I'll be interested when, God help us, someday we go watch Inspector Gadget. (laughs) <laughs> because I will, I'm put this out there now. Inspector Gadget was one of like my top three favorite cartoons of all time growing up. I still watch Inspector Gadget. I don't even care. I'm going to be 37 this year. I still watch Inspector Gadget. I remember walking out of that movie theater, and I think that movie came out around the same time as this. I despised. I hated Inspector Gadget. Yeah, we're not going to get to that one for a very, very long time on the show. I hated it. But in this case, I think all of the things that failed Inspector Gadget, from what I remember of it, I th- I think that they do fairly well here. But George's intro. This is where I watched Brendan Fraser win an Oscar, and I went, my God, this man was George of the Jungle. He was Encino Man. You know, like... <laughs> Oh, well, that jo- the Encino Man joke was not lost on anyone, least of all Jimmy Kimmel. That was great. But his intro, okay, you know that you're going to get watch out for that tree. Right. If there's any one issue that I have with this film, they say it too much. Once would have been enough. Twice would have been fine. That was one that, because it's so, the show is so known for watch out for that tree, I don't think you needed to do it. Or say it as often as you did. You want to send him into a tree a dozen times, that's fine. I don't think you needed to say the line that many times. It's also the pacing that completely destroys it. If they had done watch out for that, because in the jungle it's the tree, but they keep playing on this once he gets to San Francisco. If you got it where your character isn't delivering the full line and he's already smashed into the thing, it probably wouldn't have felt so flat but I think it's the timing and the pacing that sort of kill it but with that being said his intro otherwise as soon as you get him on that set with the lion with the animal actor and it's a mix of an animal actor and a puppet obviously Jim Henson's uh, creature shop yes Um, I actually really like what they do with him here. I like the fact that they show that he's aggressive when he needs to be because you know that ultimately you're going to get a very good-natured George, but he still needs to live up to that folklore of the white ape, the king of the jungle. (laughs) Um, First of all, I am completely distracted with his intro because Leslie Mann's sight lines are all over the place. I don't know if it's bad direction or bad acting. 
the the edits just don't match up to where George should be and to where she is standing. And it is completely distracting every single time. The other thing is that they never really make it clear if George is supposed to be beating up this lion or if they're playing. He never gives, and I do love the use of breaking the fourth wall in this film, but he never gives us that wink and the nod of like, this is actually my friend and I'm just trying to look impressive right now. You get that a little bit later with the lion, but you don't you get it You needed it here, yeah. But because you do get it later, they needed to set that up now. Yeah, unless it's a different lion, though I don't suspect that it is. I doubt that. Let's talk about getting out of his intro, though, and getting into everything that makes me mad about modern-day Disney films. I don't care if you have been with us forever. Hang on, let me dust off that soap box. My God, the treehouse set is incredible. And the ape animatronic. So good. Stop, 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 stop with the CGI. It has to go away. Because if they made this movie today, that entire set would be shot on a green screen. None of that would actually be there. Yeah, Even uh, the apes that are playing the conga drums. Um, I did not think that they were real, but it wasn't until I saw Ape the character that I was like, oh, this is absolutely Jim Henson. And then I looked it up and confirmed it. But um, it just has that look of like that TMNT animatronic. And I was so happy to see that in this film. Uh, Let's talk about what I don't like about this scene. (laughs) So Ursula went on this expedition because she wanted to see the gorillas, right? So she sees one and screams, get away from me, get away from me. They should have held that reaction until he started talking. Then you can scream and faint all you want. Also, far too much fainting in this scene. I mean, she was just borderline attacked by a lion, knocked unconscious and woke up in a treehouse. I can't say that I'd be very calm if I woke up next to a gorilla either and a man in a loincloth. I'm just saying. But she's seen the man in the loincloth before he crashed her into a tree. She knew who he was. You wanted to see the gorillas. So here's one up close. You went on this expedition and were perfectly capable of doing all this yourself. And you were brave enough to leave your fiance to go do it. So why are you afraid now? Confused? Fine. Absolutely. But maybe... One out of the three faints could have sufficed and a little bit less screaming. The the fainting and the screaming, yes. That gets a little played out. I will agree with you there. Um, And then the ape decides, I guess because of all of her reactions, I keep saying the ape, his name is Ape. Yeah. Uh, He decides that he's not going to talk or do anything human in front of her anymore presumably it's because of the way that she's reacting to him but we never really get an explanation of why he literally says it does he yes i completely missed it that's my bad he literally says she seems to be upset every time i speak so i'm not gonna do this anymore he says it to george totally missed it 
the animal actors, though, the actual animal actors, not the animal the animatronics, they're great. The, they are the, the the monkeys, the lions, the tuki tuki bird. Like these act, these animal actors don't get enough credit. And again, if they make this movie today, they're not there. This no. is all going to be CGI. And they struck such a good balance between the live animal actors and the animatronics. That pacing was very much well done. The thing that struck me the most is as we're fleshing out our time in the jungle a little bit more and we're learning more about George and we're seeing his animal friends and we're seeing how he interacts with all of them, I called it out loud as soon as it started happening. This is the second movie in the last month that we have watched and the third movie in the last month that has been discussed (laughs) <laughs> where Disney needs to use the song The Man on the Flying Trapeze. I don't know if this is just pure coincidence or if over the course of their lineage, Disney has just relied on this song too much. I mean, in Strongest Man in the World, they were using an actual trapeze. It's kind of a given. I feel like it's also a given in this film. You're also talking about 25 years apart. To do it in Absent-Minded Professor and then in Strongest Man, I think that was a little bit overkill. But also, you know, this was in the age before the binge, who realistically watched those two films butt up against each other and went, wow, this is derivative. This is also where I'm. I start to watch this and my note was, the cast puts everything into this, and it's actually brilliant. Brendan Fraser, his over-the-top, and really, Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church, if you follow his career, is not an actor and doesn't play characters that you would consider to be weak, especially after he was in Spider-Man, right? He's always kind of had that gruffness to him. And then he was in Sideways, and he was amazing in Sideways. But you never perceive him as weak. He plays the part so well here. We'll talk about cast later, but the it's, it's, it's all of them, and it's the guides. It's kind of everybody but Leslie Mann, really. Michael Caine. Or, sorry, it was John Cleese, John not Cleese. Michael Cleese. It, John Cleese. Everybody but her really play up into the fact that this is a parody and they sell it really well. I would agree. And I applaud the commitment of everyone involved, except for Leslie Mann. That's to be determined. Uh, But this is another instance where I'm taken right out of it again because they have another comedy bit where they try to play up on the idea of Kwame's men fully understanding what's going on and Lyle and his guys assuming that they don't speak English. Now Kwame says they only speak Swahili. We have heard them speak English when they were talking about the camera. And now Lyle's guys are trying to strike the deal with them uh, to hire them out for their pursuit of, I don't even know, honestly, if it's the gorilla or the elephant at this point. I don't think it's the elephant yet. We're not quite there. It's the white ape. They still think they're hunting yes. a white ape. Yes, yes. And they try to recruit Kwame's guys and they're going to pay them out. But we've already heard them speak. Why are you saying they only speak Swahili? Because they spoke 35 millimeter. That was the only English they spoke up to that point. 
So, yeah, all they had spoken on screen was Swahili, other than the phrase 35 millimeter. But you've showed the cards because Kwame also had this in-depth knowledge of the camera. So you already know that they are very well versed in technology, even though they're out, you know, in the jungle. That has nothing to do with knowing how to speak English or not. And if they're keeping that from Kwame so that they can side deal themselves, it makes all of the sense in the world. Well, that's a whole other story. that, And they should have leaned into it then. Right, because they more or less just get them back to the treehouse and then they're like, I'm out. Like, they don't really do anything to help them after that. No, and that would have been such a great part of the B-plot if they one-upped these guys because they had a better plan the whole time. Right. And, and then... Lyle's guys fell victim to their own trap because of something that Kwame's men did. Moving on, though. Something that happens as they're going off on this side hustle is that Ursula starts falling for George, right? They're riding on the back of Shep. She's She gets introduced to Tuki Tuki. He sees interaction with the lion again and the monkey. The, the amazing thing about this, where Brendan Fraser doesn't get enough credit at all, is up until this point, all you've seen him do is, like, swing into trees and do physical comedy. Which obviously is the character, right? But he gives this character so much of a good nature Mm. that it really is... It's not just good writing and good direction, but it, it, it is the hallmark of a good actor <laughs> that you really can give that much character life. And in and, and a character that is supposed to be completely one-dimensional, but they give him so much more. Um, Brendan Fraser really did more than a commendable job. He, he did, he did an, an unfortunately a, a, a forgettable job because I think the movie has become lost to time, but he does do such a wonderful thing by giving this character a lot more depth than people give him credit for. Oh, for sure. I would even go so far as to say like he's really shown his chops that he can be that romantic lead and not just the goofy comedian that we've seen in Encino Man and Airheads. You right, know? because this is before The Mummy. So it's before right. you've seen him as like that kind of more traditional Indiana Jones action romantic action, lead. Yeah, You're before right? the action movie started. Um, yeah, I do like this whole sequence um, where he explains how he got the crocodile tooth, that he didn't just you know have to fight a crocodile he helped the crocodile so to your point it does show george's good nature uh i like the idea of exchanging good luck charms and the whole dance sequence is really cute yeah choreographed by adam shankman by the way i caught his name in the credits oh interesting um yeah and now we're back at the treehouse where lyle and thor and max are there to get the white ape and to rescue Ursula. They see that the white ape is, in fact, George. They have no interest. But now they want Shep because this is Max and Thor, at least, go. He's got ivory, white, gold with the tusks. And it's not until Ape speaks and says, Shep, run for your life, that they go, my God, the gorilla's speaking. And even Ursula is like, "I I knew I heard it. But George comes running because... 
they're going to shoot Ape with a tranquilizer, and George wants to take the dart, and Lyle accidentally shoots him with a real gun. Because what had happened earlier was Lyle had a quote-unquote pistol on him, but it was just a lighter. Right. And he gave it to Kwame's men and told them to clean it. And Kwame's men switched the gun to mess with Lyle, never thinking that he would shoot another human being. And ultimately, that's what happens here. Right. This part I do find very funny, though, how they how how Lyle's men completely lose interest in the value of what they can get for for the elephant or for the white ape. And all they see is dollar signs and how they can market the talking ape. Yeah, that's pretty funny. It makes a lot of sense. So now we get back to San Francisco, but I like how they covered their tracks, though. We're on our way back to San Francisco so that George can get the medical care. In the PJ. Yeah. Which, I'm totally good with that. Yes, on a private jet. But Lyle is stuck in a Bukavu jail for shooting George. And it's it's Kwame's guides that, obviously, they, they call him out in a lineup where, obviously, he's they know that it's him. Um, because he's the only one that's dressed that way. This is the guy with money from Northern California <laughs> that had no business being there. So they know that it's him and they call him out. It's hysterical, but I like how they covered their tracks and it's like, okay, Lyle's in jail. That knocks him out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And George is here. So now we literally cannot get Lyle back unless he does something extreme and he's not just going to get like bailed out of jail. Right. So I actually thought they did a really good job covering their tracks. And I thought that it was a good way to leave off with Kwame's men, because I think that if they would have really leaned into the idea that his guys were going to help hunt an animal, they're no longer funny. Right. You, you have to keep them the comic relief. And I think that they really did a good job all around getting us to this point. It is a very good transition to, um, I completely agree with everything you said, but it's also going from Lyle being the fish out of the water and out of his element in the in the jungle to now we're in Ursula's jungle and George is become is going to become the fish out of water. Um, I also like the subtlety with how they're establishing how much money she actually has with the private jet and, oh, daddy's going to get you the best care. And then we're in San Francisco, which is obviously a very wealthy area. And we see the parents' house. Um, So they do a good job with all of the visual cues as we're getting Ursula and George back home, so to speak. Right. And this is where it does start to feel an awful lot like jungle to jungle. Yes. But... The balcony. Yeah. But with that being said, Ursula takes him shopping. She takes him to Neiman Marcus. She gets him nice clothes. Um... And then George does what we know he's going to do, and he leaves the apartment, right? And he goes and he makes this rescue on the bridge. Makes sense that's on brand for the character, but I don't understand why you opted to shoot a film in San Francisco. You opted to shoot a scene where George is going to swing on a bridge to rescue a parasailer or a skydiver whichever it was i think it was a parasailer actually. i think a parasailer yeah and you don't shoot it on the golden gate bridge 
My guess would be that they couldn't close the Golden Gate down to do the scene because they actually do this. I mean, not Brendan Fraser, obviously, but there are wide shots that like you are not recreating in a studio. And, you know, they do have all of the stunt performers. They are credited as the stunt paraseller and the stunt swinger that goes to get it I mean they they actually full out did this scene so my guess is that if you're closing the bridge for traffic you just couldn't possibly do that with the Golden Gate so they do it on the Bay Bridge it ends up on TV Ursula goes to retrieve George and then her meddling mother sees the two of them together and immediately wants to know where's Lyle because they are throwing their engagement party that night. Now, we've not seen them get engaged, but we were told that they were engaged. So it sounds like this is where, to you, to your point, the writing got a little sloppy because it sounds like Ursula got engaged to Lyle, decided she didn't want to be, and then left to go on this African excursion. Yeah, this is kind of where the whole thing falls apart for me because Lyle does refer to her as fiance. She has said to George, she's like, Fian- oh, no, the guy I'm with, because she's obviously got a little crush on him at this point and she doesn't want to say that she's engaged. So they have very well established that, even though at one point Lyle backtracks and says, my girlfriend, Right. I'm looking for my girlfriend. Just very, very sloppy writing. But th- this whole thing is is kind of being held together with chewing gum and paper clips. First of all, I mean, I know we have to get the mother to see them, but she's already seen them shopping. That should have been good enough. The fact that Ursula leaves her office where she's working for her father, where they are also throwing them an engagement congratulations, which sort of plays like it just happened and your coworkers are congratulating you. She's at the pier. And I don't care how close your office is to water. In San Francisco traffic, you did not get to the pier that fast, acquire a boat in the time it took George to swing and make this rescue. So now they're canoodling on this boat just for the sake, uh, which they also, I don't, I still don't know why they did this. Uh, when she's sailing out to the bridge, um, they pump don't rain on my parade. The, the score from don't rain on my parade as she's having what should be, I guess her Fanny Bryce moment, but it's not. Because you're asking the wrong person. I mean, I'm not asking you in funny girl. This is where like Fanny like takes charge and takes control. And here Ursula is not really taking control. She's just running to George to make sure that he's okay because she hasn't, she was supposed to tell her dad that she wanted to call off the engagement, but she chickened out. So there's, there's no like, we're, we're not reaching the crest of her arc here yet. Um, But they do this whole thing just for the sake of Ursula's meddling mother, who is completely insufferable, to see them on television. And we've still, up to this point, never really learned why she's so invested in Lyle, especially after what he did in Africa. He shot George, he's in jail, and she's clutching her pearls that her daughter's running around with the jungle man. Because it's all a social status thing. Right, but now he's in jail. 
So the status kind of goes out the window. It certainly does not. Not in the eyes of the wealthy. That's what her. Mo- that's why her mother is another really well written archetype '90s caricature of what money was. There are certain caricatures of money in the '80s and the '90s. The the era of you know excess. Right? Like, they do it really good in American Psycho. I think they do it really well here. And I think that it's actually aged really well because now you're starting to see movies that are being thrown back to the 90s. You know, like, when Animal House came out, that was going back 20 years. Well, now, if you're going back 20 years today, guess what? Well, we're going back to the early 2000s. We're not even in the 90s anymore. But you're seeing these caricatures of what the... the phony British accent, you're from California. Just caring about marriage for social status. She she said this is an arranged marriage, and her mother goes, and what's so wrong with that? You know, like she, her mother just doesn't care. She doesn't care that Lyle shot a jungle man, because in her mind, it's, well, it's just the jungle man. You know, it's it doesn't matter. It happened in Africa. He's going to come back to the United States, and he's still going to be wealthy. None of this is going to matter. Right, and we just hope no one's ever going to find out about it. I mean, I I will give you that. As far as the archetype, it is well done because she doesn't even care that Lyle is not back in the U.S. yet, and she is plowing ahead with this engagement party. Yeah, the fact that she goes, we're going to do it without him because we're just going to do it. It. She is the character that you love to hate. I will say they do manage to sort of redeem it because the only thing that really gives Ursula some semblance of a character arc is that she realizes she's in love with George after her mom says it. And she already wanted to ditch Lyle. So it doesn't appear that she's flighty and going from one guy to the other or just, you know, the next thing that's in front of her. Um, she really does come to that realization. However, that is sort of confusing because they've had all these moments where... They clearly care for each other already. So I kind of wish they had paired back on that a little bit and that George had to sort of work harder to win her heart so that the focus was on Ursula doing something for herself in cutting out Lyle. Well, I think they tried to accomplish that by just making her mother so over-the-top nasty with the stripes and spots comment that she makes to George. Mm. But you're right. They could have done that more with Ursula they chose to do that through her mother. So you kind of made Ursula fall in love with him quickly because her mother was mean to him and she recognized that it's wrong. No, and that's what I'm saying. She was already falling for him at the treehouse when they exchanged their good luck charms. And then, you know, she's ogling over him in the apartment and in his new Armani suit, which, by the way, I meant to ask you, do you think it's a coincidence from when this took place that they made him totally look like Fabio? Oh, there's no, there's no mistake. Of course he did. With the open white shirt and the black pants and the long hair with the white horse. That, uh, it's done so intentionally. It is, but I mean, I, I will say I never thought that Brendan Fraser was a handsome guy because he was always that like doofy comedian. Um, this, com- this film completely changed my mind. It looks great. So... Tukey comes, he tells George that Ape is in trouble, he's been kidnapped. It's after Ursula's mother says this to George, he leaves Ursula with the crocodile tooth and then, get, and then gets himself to UPS and ships himself back to Africa 
but not before making sure to spend a little bit more of her money on Air Jordans so that he could run through the jungle quickly to get to Max, Thor, and Ape. That was pretty funny. It was. And I, I love how everything is shot, like when he's on the canoe and the set that they built, not just the, not just the set that is the treehouse, but the jungle set that they have um, Thor and Max walking through because that, like, the, the wide shots were really shot on location, but the tight shots when they're dragging Ape around in the cage, that was all on a soundstage. Well, on location, I do want to clarify, this was not filmed in Africa. It was filmed in Hawaii. They are using uh, the Kualoa Ranch as, as Africa in this case. But... I thought that they did a really good job blending a, you know, a soundstage with what is supposed to be out in nature. I agree. And this is, I think, one of the funniest parts in the film where Thor and Max are arguing with the narrator. They're arguing with Ape. Um, you know, they've just got tunnel vision on getting him out of there and... He's even from a cage, Ape is managing to outsmart them. Yeah. It's great. The only thing I don't like here is that they start leaning a lot into toilet humor. You know, I'm not one for toilet humor. Yeah. I didn't even like toilet humor as a kid. The only scene from a film where I still think toilet humor is funny is the scene from Dumb and Dumber with Jeff Daniels. Ugh, but it only but the it. only reason why it's funny is because it's it's accidental. You're not laughing at the fact that he has diarrhea. You're laughing at the fact that he has diarrhea on a broken toilet. That's that's the comedy. And that's where like a little bit of toilet humor works. You're not laughing at toilet humor. You're laughing at a situation that these two guys continue to put themselves in. They are foils to themselves. Yeah, it's not like um like Finch in American Pie. Exactly. That's too much. Yeah, ju- Way ju- too much. Just having toilet humor and fart sounds for the sake of, I've never found it funny. And for a movie that was really, I, th- I think up to this point, well written in terms of a parody and really bumping it to 11, this is where it's like, I, I know you're trying to make a seven-year-old laugh, but you didn't need Ape to fart multiple times to make a seven-year-old laugh. The movie was funny enough on its own. The other thing that's killing it for me is that the fight scenes drag. The rapid scene starts to drag. This is all just the pacing is dying here. Yeah. The ending is cliche and it's fine, but it does drag on about five minutes longer than it needs to. And... And I mean, again, I know that they were not shooting in Africa, so they were probably a little bit more limited to their option. I mean, Hawaii is a big place. There were a lot of places that they could have gone. But if you were just filming on the ranch, although I think they were in Maui, too, as well, it appears that the rapids start and end in the exact same place. I don't know if you caught that because um, Lyle and Ursula start in the mouth of the cave, which I think is supposed to be, you know, when they talk about Gorilla Mountain, yeah, it's like in the face of the gorilla. Right. And then they go down the rapids. And once George knocks over the tree to save her, 
it looks like Lyle is going back into the same cave. I know it's supposed to play as two different ones, but I think it is the same one. And if it's not, they needed to pick something else because it looks too much, it, too similar. Right. Um, the I think that the the best, the last really good laugh in the film is when you are at their wedding in the jungle and Ursula's mother goes, oh, with all of these monkeys and apes and gorilla, I feel like Jane Goodall. And Ape walks up to her and goes, Madam, I knew Jane Goodall, and I am promising you, you are no Jane Goodall. It slaps. It would have slapped just because the line is funny, but it's John Cleese, and yes. his delivery is just perfection. Um, I also do like the ending where it, it gets really silly. Uh, they do, after they establish that George and Ursula have a child, they do the pride rock Simba hold over the Savannah. It was funny. It, it was a cute little wink and a nod. And I love that we get to see where ape ended up and he's got this Las Vegas spectacular, which again, silly, incredibly, but like it works for an end credit scene. It's a And he's singing my way. Yeah. It works. It's very funny. All right. Let's move on and talk about the cast here, starting with our leading man, Oscar-winning actor Brendan Fraser as George of the Jungle. I said it before. I love the life that he gives him. I think he handled the physical comedy really well. I thought he handled the dialogue really well. I thought that the boyish good nature he gave him was excellent. And it's like I said at the top of the show, Oscar-winning actor Brendan Fraser is introduced to the film because he smashes his crotch into a stick. And you don't think that it's going to grow from there, but it totally does. And it's a shame that he doesn't get the credit he deserves for what he did with the character. Regardless of what I have to say about the film overall, none of my criticism is directed at Brendan Fraser because he is the glue that is holding this film together. And I am really glad that we went back to watch this film, not just for the sake of taking a look at his early career, but this film is actually a perfect example of why he won an Oscar because of his commitment. It doesn't matter what the character is. He just completely embodies the person that he is portraying. And this is actually a really good example of him doing a great job of that. Yeah. Leslie Mann plays Ursula Stanhope. You know, I think Ursula, or I think, I think Leslie Mann was actually quite good in the movie. I mean, you said that her sight lines were off in that one scene, but I think the thing with Ursula is that she's the only character other than Ape that is not meant to be a parody of something else. So she's she is surrounded by characters who are playing caricatures, stereotypes and parodies, but she has to play it pretty straight. And I think that maybe there's there's a, there's seemingly a disconnect there that you have a character in a parody that's not playing it as a parody. But I think for what she did, it works. I mean, I love Leslie Mann's comedic style. 
in any of the Apatow stuff that she's done, it just works. I mean, you know, nepotism aside, uh, I I think she's very fun. Like, I love This Is 40. I thought her and Paul Rudd together were fantastic. Um, and I, we wasted the good surprise on you. I mean. Yes. That, oh, my gosh. Yes. That's what we all know her from. Yeah. Hooters, Hooters, Hooters. But, you know, <laughs> she She's a good sport. She's a really good sport. She is. Uh, I believe Big Daddy was after this, though, too. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I think that was 99. So this was still pretty early on in her career as well. I mean, I think she definitely handled being the leading lady. Um, but. I think that she fell victim to the direction here because it wasn't just that one scene. In every scene, her sight lines are all over the place. She's, you know, supposed to be looking at something that's happening in front of her and she's looking up and that might not be her fault. She could very well be looking where they told her to look. Um, But that aside, I think my issues are more with the character than the performance. And to your point, yes, she is supposed to be... um, the Michael Caine of a Muppets Christmas Carol here who's playing it straight and everything is happening around him. So they don't do enough of keeping her as that straight and narrow character because she starts falling for George too early. I will die on that hill. Uh, It needed to happen more gradually. And... I think if she was still a little bit more attached to her life and like it was more than just like, well, I don't want my parents to be mad. I'm afraid that they're going to cut me off. If she had shown that she genuinely respects them and cares about what they think and that she liked her job and didn't want to lose the life that she had, I feel like it would have raised the stakes with her a little bit and you know, you, you needed a lot less googly eyes with George right away to have all of that tracking and to believe that it's not just Lyle that she doesn't like about her former life, that there's really a sacrifice that she's making when she decides that she wants to love George. Thomas Hayden Church plays Lyle. He's brilliant. He gives everything he can to this character. I said it before. He He's not an actor in any role that you perceive as being a weak character, but you totally buy him in it here. And I think that, like, just owning that stereotype, I think he absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I think that when he's on screen, he's an absolute scene stealer. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this type of comedy performance from him where, you know, he is the fish out of water and you know sort of the um the prissy guy right and that level of physical comedy i i was really surprised by that and those were the moments that i did aside from the language barrier jokes those were the moments that i did truly find funny john cleese what what else do you say he's perfect in everything so he's perfect in this Yeah, it's kind of remarkable how you never actually see him on the screen and it's just a voice performance and he steals every scene that he's in. Final thoughts on George of the Jungle. I'll tell you what, I'll go first. I think that the problem with this movie is that people take it seriously. I think 
people don't look at it as a parody. And I think for all of the reasons we mentioned earlier, a lot of movies just like this, they were in the, it was almost the same wheelhouse. They kept dipping their toe in. They all kind of rolled out around the same time. I think this fell victim to, oh, here comes Disney doing the Jungle movie again. And that's obviously not what they did. I think people looked at it and said, well, it's goofy and stupid because they didn't appreciate the fact that it is a parody film. Remember, this this movie came out before, you know, Not Another Team movie, before Scary Movie, before, like, parodies were really a thing, outside of, like, the Mel Brooks parodies, because that man is his own genre. But I think that people went into this thinking that it's Disney's version of George of the Jungle without looking at it for what it is. Yeah, if you look at this movie as something that's supposed to be taken seriously, it's awful. But that's not what it is. It's a straight parody. I think that the comedy lands. I think the performances are really good. And I don't think we needed a sequel, but Disney's gonna do that straight to VHS or DVD sequel, you know, like six years after this when no one was really asking for it. But it's not a perfect movie. But it's certainly a good movie, and I can see where I must have watched this a lot, and I still don't have any recollection of watching it more than, like, three times. That was really so funny, because I had no idea that this was such a childhood staple for you, clearly. It makes two of us. It just came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, here's the thing. The humor is not wasted on me. I understand that they were going for parody. I understand the comedy that they were trying to do. So I'm not sitting here trying to sound stuffy over it that I don't find it funny or I didn't understand it. Um, I just think that there were too many things that were very confusing that pulled me out of it. And that is just me in my experience watching it. I'm not saying that it's too confusing where, you know, someone else is going to run into the same issue watching it because, you know, it, it is straightforward enough. Um, I'm not even suggesting that the comedy doesn't land. It does. But I feel like the plot was very, very thin for the sake of getting these moments of physical comedy. And that's what my issue is with it overall. But I will say that Brendan Fraser's performance is what stops this from being a complete bomb. Well, we're interested in knowing what you have to say about George of the Jungle. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. 
Don't forget that listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's services and all of her products. It's online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Disney news this week. Let's start with the Elemental trailer drop. Yes, we got a full trailer, not just another teaser. Uh, we got to see a little bit more of the plot come out. Uh, I've been really excited for this one because to me it feels like an inside out or just one of those classic Pixar, we're going to take something that is a granted and build an entire world around it and and find out what happens when something goes awry. Um, so I love the premise from the jump. Um, I think that from the teaser, we got that it was going to be a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet type of story where, you know, these two elements that can't possibly be together are trying to be together. But I was really surprised how much more plot that we got that Wade is trying to pursue Ember and he's trying to win her father over. Um, so I'm really excited to see where this is going. I'm excited to see it. Um it's what you expect it to be in in regards to elements that aren't supposed to work together or are going to figure out a way to work together. What we don't need and the exact thing that we're going to get is, I'm going to leave my legacy to you, my daughter. Well, father, perhaps I don't want your life. Been there, done that way too many times. I'll give you that, yes. So everything else I'm in for, this at this point is is a little contrived. I do have all the faith in the world in Pixar, though, that they are going to flip that on its head, though. And that's what we're expecting. But they've done it time and time again where they subvert your expectations. Well, that's Pixar. That's not afraid to take chances and be creative. And then there's Disney. (laughs) More recently. uh, That just can't get enough of live action remakes we go from being so disappointed in the new peter pan and wendy trailer to getting this banger little mermaid trailer that completely changed our minds and haunted mansion yes and now this announcement it's nothing against quest love that is the one thing i'm excited about we don't need a live action remake of the aristocats where the CGI is going to be horrible. I'm, it's going to be horrific CGI. I already know this in my life. But is it though? Because if they go the Jungle Book route, we like the Jungle Book. And we liked Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, but I mean, it's also a difference of John Favreau and his expertise versus like, is Questlove going to be able to handle the visual aspect of it because the music it that's gonna be fire like I'm actually very excited to hear how he handles the soundtrack but as soon as as they announced this and it it was like a slow burn yesterday of like you saw a couple people picking it up and then by the time Variety and Deadline got to it I was like oh wow this is really happening um but my my initial gut reaction was super excited for the music and then oh do we really need these look the, cats cats itself does not give me a lot of faith in a project like this we don't need more live action remakes. I think it's too soon for more cats. 
but they're doing it. I can say I'm not excited. You seem like you're cautiously optimistic. I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say that I am interested because of the music. Uh, and I will say that if they don't cast Marianne Cotillard as Duchess, they are then I'm out. Like, then I am just straight out of it. Well, we want to know what you have to say about the Disney news this week. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monorail Radio, because starting next week, we are kicking off a baseball month on Monoreal Radio. We've been talking about this on and off for a little while for a multitude of reasons. We just couldn't put it together. The timing didn't work out. But we are starting it next week with a listener request. I'm just going to leave it there. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.